Another Navy ship is on its way to the Mediterranean, and Americans find common ground on the war in Afghanistan. All that and more today, October 19th, 2023. Good morning, early birds. I'm Zimone Perez, and this is the Early Bird Brief, produced by Defense News and Military Times. First up, the Navy's 6th Fleet Command and Control Ship, Mount Whitney, is joining the mounting U.S. presence in the Eastern Mediterranean. The Mount Whitney will join other U.S. assets that were dispatched in support of Israel amid the Israel-Hamas war. Two carrier strike groups, an amphibious ready group, a marine expeditionary unit, and 2,000 to-be-determined troops make up the U.S. military's response. The units, which have not been alerted, will soon be moved to a 24-hour recall status. That means they will ready themselves to deploy within a day if the White House gives the orders. The Ford and Eisenhower carrier strike groups will soon be together in the eastern Mediterranean. The amphibious assault ship Bataan, its ready group, and the embarked 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit will also be in the region. Non-combatant evacuations are one of the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit's main roles, but Pentagon spokeswoman Sabrina Singh said the Marines haven't been tasked with anything yet. They are there so that the Secretary and the President can make a decision if they are needed. Um, They are in the region, but I'm not going to get into specific operational details at this time. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin approved an extension of the Ford's deployment on Tuesday. Singh cannot say how long the Ford Carrier Strike Group's deployment has been extended. Here's why it matters. The moves are reminiscent of the early days and weeks of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The U.S. mobilized roughly 20,000 troops to Europe to reassure NATO countries over their security concerns about Russia. Many of those troops are still in place two years later. The U.S. has also set up a command in Germany to oversee training of Ukrainians. Singh said the troop moves are intended to deter any other groups from striking Israel during its war with Hamas. The Defense Department hasn't set any times for how long the increased posture could last. Another important story, coalition forces were slightly injured in Iraq in a series of drone attacks. Two drones targeted a base in western Iraq used by U.S. forces and another targeted a base in northern Iraq. U.S. troops intercepted all three. According to a statement from U.S. Central Command, American troops destroyed two drones but only damaged the third. That led to minor injuries at the western base. The Islamic resistance in Iraq is an umbrella group of Iranian-backed militias. It issued a statement afterward claiming responsibility for the two attacks. Here's why it matters. This comes at a time of increasing tension and fears of a broader regional conflict in the wake of the latest Israel-Hamas war. Much attention has been focused on Hezbollah in Lebanon and its formidable arsenal. The group has traded so far limited strikes with Israel on the border in recent days. But Iranian-backed militias in Iraq have also threatened to attack U.S. facilities over American support for Israel. Following a blast that killed hundreds at a hospital in Gaza Tuesday night, the group issued another statement. In that statement, it blamed the U.S. and its support for Israel for the catastrophe and called for an end to the U.S. presence in Iraq. An Iranian-backed militia claimed responsibility in a statement for a second drone attack. Two officials with the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq said the armed groups were on alert and prepared to join the wider battle against Israel. But Iran had not yet given approval for them to open a new front. In other news, military transition classes are improving, but advocates and lawmakers say there's more work to be done. For more on this, Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode today. So Leo, you covered a big hearing in the Senate on military transitions. 
What's going right with those efforts? Yeah, we heard from advocates and lawmakers that they're pretty pleased with changes that the Defense Department and VA has made in recent years um, in in these transition classes. They're designed to get troops who are leaving the service, you know, better better ready for civilian life. Tell them about employment opportunities. Tell them about benefits, uh, veterans benefits they're eligible for. Um, and they've seen a real increase in the number of uh, of military members attending these classes, up forty percent from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two. Uh, you know, over 200,000 folks um, were, were in them. And that's a good sign that they're at least getting some baseline for what they need to know when they get out of the military and how to how to make their civilian life successful. So all of that is going right for these efforts. But are there concerning things or parts that aren't going so well? Yeah, the bad news is that there's still thousands of troops that aren't attending these classes and that should be. Um, the under, under current rules passed by Congress, um, there's supposed to be a mandatory two-day transition class for any troops who are leaving the service so that they do have these, these skills and everything. Half of troops still aren't attending them, uh, the two-day classes, and a quarter of troops who are seen as vulnerable. These are folks who are, are more junior. Um, junior enlisted especially, really don't have any stated plan, don't know what they're going to be doing. A quarter of those aren't attending the classes. So there's a lot of concern among lawmakers and veterans advocates that, you know, these are folks who are the most likely to get out, who are most likely to run into problems, not have uh, not have a job lined up, maybe face mental health challenges, maybe not know where to go for help. And if they're not getting that information, uh, it, really, it really undercuts the entire effort. Um, we also heard from uh, the Government Accountability Office that about 70% of troops are taking these classes in uh, in the last year of service. They're supposed to be taking it uh, more than a year out so they can better prepare, start to think about what jobs they want to do, where they want to move, what, what family cho- choices they want to make. You know, simply taking the classes a couple weeks before you leave isn't going to give the same level of uh, information and education that they need. So, so we heard from Defense Department and VA and Department of Labor that they're still working, still trying to improve all of these uh, aspects of the classes, really get troops up to speed um, before they leave so that they can see more success. But it's a work in progress. Lawmakers said they're, they're pleased with some of the progress, but really gave a talking to to these federal officials saying more needs to be done if we're going to make sure to, to make sure veterans succeed in, in their post-military life. Thanks, Leo. For more conversations like this one, please like and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Also on the radar for today, a new poll shows considerable agreement among the public that the United States war in Afghanistan was not worth fighting. The poll is from the Pearson Institute for the Study and Resolution of Global Conflicts and the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. It comes two years after the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan in August 2021. Many saw the withdrawal as chaotic and ill-planned, and polls suggest that it may have been a turning point for President Joe Biden's approval rating. His poll numbers dipped and have not recovered since. Here's why it matters. There were strong overlaps between Democrats and Republicans on Afghanistan, but they differ on whether the U.S. should take a more active role in the world. 55% of Republicans say the U.S. should take a less active role, compared to 15% of Democrats. Nearly two-thirds of both Republicans and Democrats say the war in Afghanistan was not worth fighting. Many have doubts about whether the U.S. succeeded in its goal of eliminating terror threats and improving opportunities for women. 46% of Democrats and 44% of Republicans still said eliminating the threat from Islamic extremists was an important goal, 
but only about one quarter in each group said this successfully happened during the war. Only about one in five Americans say the U.S. successfully improved opportunities for women and girls in Afghanistan, but about three quarters said advancing the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan was important to them. The U.S. evacuated tens of thousands of Afghans in an August 2021 airlift from Kabul airport, but hundreds of thousands of Afghans, many who worked closely with the U.S. government, are still trying to flee the country. Groups helping them have warned that Afghans who worked closely with the U.S. military have faced retribution from the Taliban and say the U.S. has a moral responsibility and national security interest in helping them. And now here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. The Air Force said it's transitioning its Guard and Reserve C-130H transport aircraft to an almost entirely digital avionics and navigation system. Boeing will begin 3D printing Apache helicopter parts. Company officials said Boeing plans to test a full 3D printed main rotor system for the helicopter next year. President Joe Biden announced the U.S. will provide $100 million in humanitarian assistance for the Palestinian people in Gaza and West Bank. And Stars and Stripes is reporting that the submarine tender Frank Cable is back in Guam. Frank Cable spent the last year getting a nearly $38 million overhaul in California. And on this day in history, in 2010, there was an early morning shooting at the Pentagon. Officials eventually linked the incident and other similar ones at Northern Virginia military facilities to former Marine Corps reservist Jonathan Malaku. He was sentenced in 2013 to 25 years in prison, followed by 10 years of supervised release. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, Diana Stancy, The Associated Press, and Leo Shane III. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.